Open your Bible to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now, I think since we've been having church back here, this is the second time I've went to this chapter. But don't think that I'm like always preaching Matthew 24 type stuff. I'm not. I think this is only the second time actually in four years that I've ever even preached out of this chapter. Uh, but I was asking Katrina today because I couldn't remember. When was the last time I talked about some of this stuff? Because I feel like I, it was recently, but I couldn't remember. But it was still what I uh, wanted to talk about this morning. Well, in brief, well, so we've been doing our series on the Word of God. This started it. Um, and I have said several times, you know, your, your perception, your approach, your attitude toward the Word of God is the most important thing about you. And I mean that spiritually speaking. You know, you can assess a person's spiritual well-being with that one question. What do you think about the Word of God? Because if they say, well, it's not the Word of God, it's the Word of man. Well, they're in a mess. If they say the Word of God is in it, but it is not the Word of God, they're still in a mess. If they say... It's the Word of God, but it's not the final authority. My experience is the final authority, or the church is the final authority. They're in a mess. So our attitude and approach to the Word of God is huge. It's, I mean, it's, it, it can't be overstated just how big it is. And, you know, and I, I even said last Thursday, God reveals Himself and identifies Himself to us through His Word. Even in the Bible, it actually says He magnified His Word above His name. I believe that's... Psalm 139, I think. Um, but th this today is kind of coming out of that, and plus something that I said during that, that uh, class we were talking about. Um, there, the, the Bible gives us a test to measure the, the prophets. It gives us two. But really, one is like the ultimate test. And the, the test is in Deuteronomy chapter 13. I think it's the first three verses. And God gives us this test to, to how, how do you know uh, if the prophet is sent by God or not? And in one place it says if, the, if what the prophet says comes true, you know, it was the Lord. But then there's a qualifier to that later in Deuteronomy 13. He says even if it comes true, but it's not in line with the word of God, it's not in line with the message, then I did not send that prophet. Which means this, even to the prophets, right, in the, in the Old Testament and the apostles, all of them, the word of God was the ultimate authority. If an apostle or a prophet came saying anything that didn't line up with the word of God, God did not send that prophet. And I mentioned that last uh, Thursday, but I wanted to get into it a little bit more today because honestly, man, you know, when you've been like... I have been studying on this for a couple of weeks and just kind of bathing in all of what the scripture has to say. Well, not all of it, but lots of it about the false prophets. Man, it's like, wow, there's this, there's really this huge parallel with Israel during the time of Jeremiah and the Babylonian captivity that he was telling them was coming because of their sin, because of their rejection of God. And today's time in America, there really is a huge parallel. Now, I'm not saying that it's a direct correlation, but it's like, man, the more and more and more I, I, I was reading on these verses in the New Testament and then looking back in the Old Testament and seeing the nature of the false prophets and the behavior of the false prophets and the things that they do, the more and more and more I thought, man, you know, it, it, 
even if I did preach this recently, I need to preach it again. Uh, and so that's what we're going to take a look at. Before I read these verses here in Matthew 24, let me read this. To just, I'm going to read these really fast because I'm not going to spend time teaching them. But I just want to show you through the New Testament. This, this is just only a hand, handful of them. But I wanted you to see that the New Testament does give uh, teachers and the people, the brethren, uh, warnings all over the place about false prophets. From 2 Peter chapter 2 says this, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily or privately, secretly, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, that's one of the keys about the false prophets, by the way, is the word many. Many prophets and they have many, many, many followers. It never says few. It never says few. It always says many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And listen to this part. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Make merchandise of you. And the feigned is fake, false, plastic, hypocrite words. Second Corinthians says this, For such are false apostles and deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, Satan's ministers, Satan has ministers, Therefore, it is no great, great thing if his ministers, that's Satan's ministers, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, for many false prophets. Again, many. never says few. It always says many. Many false prophets are gone out into the world. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you looking religious. They come to you looking pious they come to you looking sincere they come to you looking innocent they come to you looking like they're your friend which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves i'll stop there look at matthew 24 and jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple and jesus said unto them See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed which is what we're going to try and do today. Take heed. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We'll stop right there. I told you all Thursday that after we get through our series on the inspiration, inerrancy, and fallibility of the Word of God, I plan to either talk about creation or some things about the last days. And this was his first warning. To the church. It's to the apostles. The apostles was the sort of immediate audience. But it's to, it's to everyone because he's even answering the question about the last days. What's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Some say the end of the age. 
his first warning, I think is probably the most important. Actually, if you look just while you're there, look at verse uh, 11, same chapter. And many false prophets, many, many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. Look at verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. So that's th this warning is really the most important warning in this chapter. Here's why. Pandemics and plagues, that's, that's no good. That's going to hurt. Wars and rumors of wars, that's not good. That's, you know, that, that, that affects our country or whatever. Um, even they're going to deliver you up and you're going to be hated of all nations and people are going to be offended. All that's bad, but the worst possible thing is for you to be deceived and believe a lie and either become some kind of apostate or to just follow after a, wrong, a false teacher and become completely ineffective for the cause of Christ. It's terrible, don't get me wrong, it's terrible when a man is a martyr, when a man dies for Christ, but what's worse is actually when a man is deceived into a false religious system. I'm taking my shoes off. That, that sound drives me nuts. And so the, the, the warning that's given three times in that one chapter is to take heed. Now, I think if we look back at verse 5, I want to break this down for you. A little bit and give some application to where I hope that y'all will kind of see. Wait a minute, man, this is everywhere. This is everywhere. It says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. I think a lot of people think that that verse means there's going to be people come saying, I'm the Savior of the world, I'm the true Savior. I'm the Messiah. But that's not actually what I think that it means. I think it's actually clear if you look at it. It's, it's plain. If the definite article was there, if people were saying, I am the Christ, then yes, th there would be people, and there have been and there will be, people that will come up, very few, but they'll come and they'll claim to be the true Messiah. There may be a dozen of those. But what, what I really believe he means right here is what the meaning of the word Christ means is actually the word anointed. Christ actually means anointed. In fact, if y'all are familiar with, you've heard of the word christen or christened, it's spelled Christ-ian, Christen. To christen something is to anoint it. That's what it really means. In fact, you can look up in a thesaurus, a synonym for Christ, when you're not talking about the person, Jesus Christ, but just the meaning of the word, is anoint. Even Christ, when speaking of himself, he says um, that... The Spirit of God had anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, all of these things. Christ was the anointed. That's, that's what it means, anointed. And when we put that there, now it starts to really make sense for our day and time, I think. Many is going to come saying, I'm anointed. They'll say things like Jesus Christ said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he hath anointed me to whatever the, they're going to say. And man, I don't know about y'all. I don't know what y'all's past church experiences have been. I don't know if y'all have ever turned on the TV and listened to one of these TV preachers for very long. But this phrase, I'm anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Oh, the Spirit spoke to me this morning and it told me you go and open this and read this verse and tell the people that. Man, I hear that all the time. I've heard it hundreds and hundreds of times, hundreds of times. 
And that's exactly what they're doing, right? They're saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then they're going to say something and they're going to say, and in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. That's their favorite phrase. As though there's some mystical power to just say whatever you want to say and then at the end, tag Jesus' name on the end of it and as though that makes it so. But it doesn't. It doesn't. If Jesus said that this was going to be a sign of the latter days, which it, it's reaffirmed in other places. Uh, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times many would depart from the faith, doing what? Giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. And doctrines, teachings of devils, demons. Uh, in Mark, where this, where this uh, same... Parallel passages recorded in Mark when it talks about uh, being deceived. Mark uses, uses the word seduce. And another place it tells us, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. So as time goes on, the Bible is clear that the level of deception and the number of the false prophets will increase. It's not decreasing. It's increasing. And if it's increasing, where are they at? That's a question I hope you really think about. Listen, in, in the days of Elijah, Elijah was a true prophet of God in the land of God, in the Holy Land is what we would call it, in the land of Abraham, in the land of Israel. The prophets of Baal were Jews. It's not an anti-Jew thing when I say that. It's just a Bible thing. They were Israelites. The 450 false prophets of a false god, guess where they were preaching this? In the synagogues. In the temples. The places that David and Solomon had built. And, you know, using the law that Moses had recorded. Using the word of God and twisting it, prophesying things that God didn't say. But what I want you to understand is, even Elijah, which was the true man of God, he was out there and it was so bad that he felt alone. He really did. You know, Katrina and I wrote a song about that where Elijah goes to the mount. To, he, he's, he's, he don't eat for 40 days and he travels to Mount Horeb because he's got to have a meeting with God, man, because he's like discouraged. What is going on? He says, I am left alone. All of the prophets, all of the priests, all of the pastors have forsaken you. And they're teaching your children. To go the way of the pagans. That's what Elijah said in the heart of God country back then. Now, nowadays, America has this reputation of being the heart of God's country. But it ain't. It's the heart of Babylon in a lot of ways. I'm not saying that it is Babylon. But it's not the heart of God's country. I believe it once was to an extent. Of course... I don't think the land of Israel has ever ceased to be important to God, but I do believe that the blessings of God were at one time upon at least the people of our country. And I'm talking early on, early on. Um, but it's, it's not that way anymore. And so the reason I brought up that 450 prophets of Baal illustration is I wanted you to see the ratio is 450 to 1. And I honestly think that's probably about right today. For every 450 famous, you know, 
prophet? Because fame follows the false prophets. The world does not like the true prophets. They don't. And even Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. You want to know how many people like to follow the true prophets? How many people followed Elijah? None. He was by the creek by himself. The birds fed him. Okay? Uh, and then there were others. How many people followed Jeremiah? I know y'all are probably not that familiar with Jeremiah, but I'll tell you, very few. Very few. He was contending with the false prophets. But my point is this. I'm going to bring up some things in a minute because we, we had the pleasure yesterday of meeting a family that was Latter-day Saints. Former, I guess you would say, Latter-day Saints, which is Mormons. And I talked to them for a little while, and they were kind, and I talked to them about the Bible a little bit and sent them a sermon and invited them to come. Um, we're going to talk about, very briefly, some of these false religions that have popped up like Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventism, Jehovah's Witness. And there was certainly, they were started by false prophets. No doubt about that. But most of the false prophets are not in, it, that is like the fringe of whatever you'd say, the domain of false prophets. Most of the false prophets are in the churches. That's what I'm trying to get across. So don't think, yeah. You tell them Mormons how it is. You tell them Jehovah's Witness how it is. Because I'm not talking about them. Everybody, y'all already know they're wrong. Everybody knows they're wrong. It's the guy that you've been listening to that you don't know is wrong is the one I want to warn you about. And I mean, y'all probably ain't been listening to none of these people. But let me show you something. I'm going to read you some verses out of Jeremiah. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to jump three chapters real fast. I'll give you, the, uh, you, you can have the copy of it when I'm done. I didn't change no words. This claim to be anointed. See if this doesn't sound like some of these modern day charismatic type, word of faith or type, prosperity gospel type people. Jeremiah, I will tell you the verses. I'm going to read from Jeremiah 23, chapter 23, verse 25 and 26. I'm going to read Jeremiah 14, verses, verse 14, and Jeremiah 29, verse 8 and 9. Okay. Jeremiah says, This is God speaking. To Jeremiah, I have heard what the prophets said, that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they prophesy, or sorry, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Next verse. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies, again, in my name. Remember, many going to come in my name saying, I'm anointed. I've been sent by God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision. How many prophets so-called, which by the way, prophet just you'd be preacher, teacher, pastor. It doesn't necessarily mean they're telling the future. No, they're just, a prophet can be a man that's just trying to tell you what the word of God means. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. We don't use those titles. I'm not a prophet. But don't think that a prophet is this, the Bible uses that word for basically any man that's going to stand up and proclaim something about the word of God or whatever. 
So, it says, they prophesy unto you a false vision and divination. I'll explain that in a minute. And the thing of nothing, and again he says it, in the deceit of their own heart. How many of these preachers do you know? They had a vision, and the Lord came down and showed them something and told them something. Joseph Smith was one of those which started the whole religion of Mormon. But, oh, there's way more than him in the churches today. In fact, I was talking to Katrina about it a couple days ago. What we have actually seen happen over the last 50 years, really I'm going to say, if we go back to the very root of it, 122 years. But definitely it hit second gear in the last 50 years. Honestly, brothers and sisters, we've seen the birth of a new religion. It calls itself Christianity, but it's not in any way. It is not Christianity in any way any more so than the 450 prophets of Baal that lived in Israel was actually teaching true, what we would call Judeo-Christianity. We look back at that, and the Bible makes it clear. And Ahab did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Manasseh did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Joab did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And all the prophets, they're prophesying in the name of a false god. They're teaching the children to... the children of Israel to sacrifice their children, even in some cases, to this false god Moloch. We don't ever look back at that and say, well, that was the true, that was true Judaism or whatever. We, don't, we know that ain't the case. Well, listen, if they was looking into the future right now at this country, they'd say, that is, I mean, I don't care what it calls itself. It's not Christianity. I don't care if that preacher stands up there and says, oh, I love the Lord today, brothers and sisters. And in the name of Jesus, I got a message for you. It's not Christianity. It isn't. How do we know? We got the measuring stick right here. We got the standard. We measure it to the word, right? Okay. But it's common. This, I've dreamed. I've had a vision. Uh, I've divined something. We hear this often. Now listen. There's a part of human nature that makes everybody somewhat guilty of this. Or not maybe guilty, but... We're kind of prone to this, um, to be riding down the road maybe and see a billboard. And the billboard says something on it. And somehow or other, it, it does seem to speak to you in that moment. And you say, God led me right here for this moment to see that billboard, to read that. And, and then you go and you tell people or whatever. And, in a way, now we've got to be careful. I, I do believe God leads his people. I, I, well, I know he does. There's true prophets too, right? Not every prophet was false. And there's a true word of God. Not every word is false. But we've got to be careful because that's divination in one form. I'm going to read to you some verses here in a minute that talks about enchantments. Literally, did you know the word wizard is in the Bible? Witch is in the Bible. Charmer, like snake charmer. Enchanter. Uh, necromancer, person that talks to dead this stuff is in the Bible, and it's, it's sort of the, it's what people call spiritual, which there's some spirituality to it, but it's like a flesh, it's a carnal form of spiritual. And so, I, you know, we have to be careful to examine even our own selves. So trust me, you can deceive yourself too. Examine even your own self with the Word constantly. You know, I, I've had, I have had a dream, but not like what they had. I had a dream about whether or not to buy land, and I know God gave me that dream, but I'm not saying that my dream was for the people. For it was for me. That's right. My dream was for me. It wasn't for y'all. He didn't give y'all the dream. He gave me the dream, and my dream was specifically for a situation 
that I do believe God led me out of. But that's not something for me to go and carry that message to the world. Hey, if you want to know about land or not, pray and God will give you a dream of fire. No. That would be wrong. And when it talks about their dreams, that's what it's talking about. These people that say they've had a dream that they're supposed to give you this message in this dream or whatever. So you have to be careful about that. But we also have to be careful about ourselves. Met a lady. Better not call out her name. She, she may end up listening to this one day. Met a lady, what, two, three months ago? Four months ago? And, and she kind of thinks that she, she has this antenna, this God antenna, and she just kind of walks around like this. The Lord's leading me. He said, go right. He said, turn right again. I mean, really, that's how she talks. That's how she thinks about it. She's like, it just hit me. I need to go get groceries. The Lord must want me to go get groceries. I was walking into the grocery store, and right when I went through the door, there's a man coming out of the door, and I thought... The Lord must have wanted me to talk to him because he was here at the same time I was here. And so, and she was like, you know, it was from one thing to another, to another, to another. Literally, and she's talking to me like, she's the most spiritual person that ever lived. And I'm sitting there thinking, what you're telling these people ain't even right. Like, even if God did send you there, you gave him the wrong message. Which makes me think that God didn't send you there. So we have to be careful. Y'all, y'all, if y'all got a you know digital Bible, open to this one. I just so, just so you can see it, so you don't think I'm lying to you. Deuteronomy 18. While y'all are turning there, let me close out in the last part I was talking about. You name a cult, I'm just spit everywhere. You name a cult, and it was started by someone that had a vision. You name it, or had a dream. Or divined something, and divination, you know, they was reading the bones, reading the stars, and the Lord showed them in the stars to do this, that, or the other. You name a cult, it started by a person who had a vision. I mean, even Islam, one billion people under the darkness of the devil, started by a man named Muhammad, had this encounter with an angel, sees this glowing angel in this cave or whatever, and rewrites the whole Bible. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, Charles Taze Russell. Muhammad, uh, I already said Muhammad. Joseph Smith, Mormons. Ellen White, Seventh-day Adventists. You name them. They was, if it's a cult, it was started by a person that had a vision. But this stuff is also in the churches. If y'all are in Deuteronomy 18, look at verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire. That's, a, that's honestly a sacrifice. Or that useth divination... Or an observer of times, think horoscopes. See, people are prone to, to, to fall into this. I mean, I know a lot of people that they just love their horoscope. But it, it's, a, it's a form of witchcraft, honestly. Um, an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and unfortunately, I, my verse is cut off right there. Would somebody finish reading that out loud for me so we can get the whole verse out? And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Okay. Yes. Now, here's why I wanted to read that to you. I think the next verse actually says that the nations of the heathen hearken unto this stuff. 
Is that what it says? I didn't put it on here. Okay. The nations, the pagans, basically, the heathens, what would have been back then called the Gentiles, the godless, they hearken unto that stuff. Well, here's what's happening now. The church is hearkening unto it, too, now. Yeah, big time. Um, and so, I, I wanted to put that there because I was studying on this. I'm going to admit up front, y'all examine what I'm about to say. Because this is a bit of my philosophy right here, okay? I can't say for 100%, I can show you a verse, that what I'm about to tell you is true. Although I think it is true. I think these traits, let's say there's 10 things there. Enchanter, necromancer, charmer, conjurer, sorcerer, wizard, whatever. I think all false prophets have at least one of those traits. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. Some probably have two or three or more. But I think all false prophets use or have the ability, if you want to say that, one of those things, even the people in the churches, because we're going to explain a little bit about what it means. But first, all of those things listed are used to deceive. You know, like when Jesus was, I guess you would say, validating himself in the eyes of the people, he asked a question one time. He said, which is greater, to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, take up thy bed and walk? And they said, well, to say, take up thy bed and walk, because you can say, thy sins be forgiven thee, but we don't really know if they've been forgiven. And then he said something that's very important, and we need to learn that every, in all cases, the miracles in the New Testament of the apostles and of Christ himself was only to validate the truth. The truth was the focus. He said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the young boy stood up, grabbed up his bed and walked, and the people then knew he has power to forgive sins. And they had actually just said something. None can forgive sins but God. And so he had just proved, you're right. I am God incarnate. But my point is, the miracles, even, okay, like if you read about the miracles that the apostles did, they're called confirming miracles. In other words, these miracles, signs and things that they did was to confirm the truth of what they were saying. There was a reason behind it all is what I'm trying to say. At times it could just be because they had preached the gospel and the whole gospel was at stake here because these people just wasn't believing it or whatever. And so for the sake of truth, but the, the point is, and I promise you this part, this is not my philosophy, truth was the priority. The gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the word of God, that was the main issue. The miracles was never supposed to point to the man. They were supposed to point to the word. In fact, when, the, when in uh, Acts, uh, I think it's chapter 13, the people started worshiping Paul and Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas was doing these mighty works in front of them. And when Paul and Barnabas found out, they ran in and it says they cried out to the people and said, don't do these vanities. We are just men of like passions just like you are. They hated, it says they rent their clothes and cried out. They hated the idea that the people was putting their sort of regard and their worship toward the apostles. Boy, that's the opposite of the false teachers though, ain't it? I mean, the false teacher loves nothing more than for people to go, whoo, that man's got power. Whoo, that man knows, he knows the truth of the Lord or whatever. I mean, the false teachers, trust me guys, man. Oh, they feed on that. 
They feed off of the, the fact that the crowd adores them. The crowd thinks, and listen, I mean, I, I want to be careful what I say. I had a grandfather that was in the Pentecostal way, and I'm telling you, people treated that man like he was God. Like he had the power of God that no other human had. And oh, they didn't even look in his eyes. They were so afraid of him. And though, in, in the way that I grew up, you know, they believed laying on hands was this sort of uh, everyday act at church, you know, and they'd be laying hands on you. That's not, actually not even what it was. It was a, it was a, a, a symbol of, well, we won't even get into that. It had to do with ordaining and stuff like that. But, oh, if this man touched you, boom, fell on the floor. I'm telling you the truth. I did. Not by him, because he died when I was seven, but my uncle, his son, because I grew up in that church, and I remember I was walking around, and I was praying. I, I mean, I did what they taught me to do. It, it didn't even make sense, honestly. I, when I think about it now, I'm like, where do we even get that stuff? We walk around in circles and hold our hand up. Glory, glory, glory. You know, we'd do like this right here, and my uncle touched me. Wham! I'm telling you, I hit the floor. I really did. He's not of God, though. And that's the part that's hard for me to say. Because to, to, to say that, it's almost like I have to deny everything I was taught. And it's hard. And also... He was a good man. As far as his works, he was a good man. You know that couple we met yesterday, the former Mormons? You know why she can't get away from that in her own mind? This is what she said. Because they're such good people. Because they're such good people. Listen, this is going to be hard to accept. But good people is never listed as a reason to trust their message. It is not. The Buddhists are some of the most peaceful, kind, loving people you'll ever meet. Totally lost. The Mormons, when they show up to evangelize their version, they're going to come in, they're going to be like, hey man, is there anything we can help you do? I'll send you out in the yard working. I'll, I'll grab a weed eater, I'll weed it for you. They're coming in by cunning craftiness, lying in wait to deceive. That's really what it is. What I'm saying is this. Don't let, it even says it what, in Colossians, don't let someone beguile you through false humility. Because we see that. We see they're good. They're out, you know, man, he's like, he don't drink, he don't cuss, he's a good family man. But everything that he says spiritually, and he does, is not in here. It's not in here. In fact, the closest thing in here to what was happening there is what the prophets of Baal did. They built an altar and gathered around it and, you know, was doing all kinds of crazy things. And so what I'm saying is don't let, oh, but they're good people. Don't let that grab you. That's what gets so many. It gets so many. I'm not saying condemn the people. No, but condemn the message. Yes, you have to. If Christian people do not proclaim the truth in spite of knowing it's going to be hated, we just let the world live in darkness. That's really what happens. We, it, the, every man has a certain calling to tell the truth. Even if it's going to make him hated. Not everyone is called to be a preacher. I understand that. But you're all called to tell the truth. And so we have to be... We have to be willing and ready. Okay. <clears throat> that was all extra credit. My point is that the false prophets, they are also using what I'm going to call false miracles. It is a miracle. It is miraculous. 
but it's not a miracle of God. They're also using this apparent signs and wonders and false miracles that they're doing to point to their message. Well, really, it's to point to themselves. What they're really doing is saying, look, it's not just a dream I had, man. They, you know, like, have y'all ever seen Benny Hinn? Take his coat off and does this number and like 500 people just fall. He's doing that to say, see, I got the power of God. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. I'll show you that he doesn't, but he doesn't. Nor does Kenneth Copeland or Joyce Meyer and some more. We're going to list them here in a minute, but they don't. But listen, man, they got a grip on a lot of people. So Jesus, in Matthew 24, 24, we already read the verse. What did he say? There shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall do what? They'll show great signs and wonders. That, that's the word miracles. They're going to show miraculous things. If you've ever read uh, Revelation chapter 13, in chapter 13 is where it talks about the beast and the false prophet. The beast is this, it's, a, it's an image. It, it, every part represents something. It's not a literal animal. But this beast comes up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns upon his head. Right? And it says the dragon gives him his power, which is Satan. And then he sees another creature that looks like a lamb, it says, but speaks as a dragon. Now, that doesn't mean that he speaks with this big, booming, powerful voice. No, it means that he speaks cunning. There was, there was not anything more subtle than the dragon, the serpent. So it's very subtle. And it actually calls him later the false prophet. Revelation chapter 19, I think verse 20. It calls this lamb with the horns that speaks as a dragon. It calls him the false prophet. And it says this, that he has, let me read this, let me read this to you. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. And he doeth great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. Stop for just a minute. We'll read the rest of that. But do you remember what Elijah did? When he was going against all the false prophets, how did God confirm to them which one was true? The fire came down from heaven and lapped up the sacrifice. Well, this false prophet in the future, the one Jesus is warning us about saying, listen, they're going to show great signs and wonders. In fact, it says he deceiveth the whole world by means of those miracles. That's my point. That's why I even went there. He's using the miracles to deceive you. He doesn't end there. It says he has power to make fire come down from heaven in the sight of men and in the sight of the beast. And then it also says, and he has the power to give life to the image of the beast. What is the image of the beast? We'll deal with that in three weeks. But he has power to give life that it would speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. What if? What if it is an apparent resurrection? Because Elijah also did that. There was two main, main things Elijah. One was the fire come down when he went against the prophet's bell. The other was when he was at the widow's house and the widow's son had died, and what happened? Elijah went and laid over upon him and prayed to God three times, and the life came back into him, and he revived and stood up. Elijah is also prophesied in the Old Testament to precede the return of the Savior, or the coming of the Savior, which Jesus said it happened. 
And John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah hath come already. That's what Jesus said. But to the unbelieving world, this false prophet will most likely be a sort of false Elijah. And if he's doing the things that Elijah did, when Jesus says this, it's interesting. He says, if it were possible, it'll deceive the elect. How is it not possible to deceive the elect? How? There's only one way. And that is because we already know Jesus has come. Jesus has died for my sin. Jesus rose. You can never convince me I don't care what you do. I don't care if you lasso the moon literally and pull it down here. And you say, this is the Lord. I'm going to say, no, it ain't. That's a false God. That's the only way that it's not possible for you to be deceived. I've said this so many times. The only way is if you know that you know that you know Jesus was the true Son of God, Savior of the world. If you don't know that, if you have doubt, you're, you're in a bad place to be deceived by miracles and all this stuff. Because he said, they're going to say to you, oh, he's over here. Or he's over there. He's in the desert. He's in the secret chamber. Go not far. For when I come, it'll be as lightning, which shineth from the east all the way into the west. Right? When Jesus comes, every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. There ain't going to be no doubt. But the world, it says, is deceived. And my point was, oh, it's hot. I'm sweating. My point was, they're using miracles to deceive. Okay? They're using miracles to deceive. But they're false. They're false signs and false wonders because the message is false. And just because a man stands up there and says something about Jesus, even Joel Osteen will do this right here. This is the Word of God. It tells me who I am. And, all. and then he puts it down and never open it again. Never talk about it again. Guess what? Joel Osteen is what's called an enchanter. An enchanter. When you look up enchanter, it literally would translate like this. A, a hisser. Yeah, exactly. Subtle, a silver tongue. Kenneth Copeland is a wizard, a sorcerer, a conjurer. That's what he is. I do believe Kenneth Copeland does some crazy things because he's a wizard. I don't mean a, a, you know, I'm not talking about a Disney World wizard, kids. I'm talking about a demonic thing. Okay, I listed... And if I get on anybody's toes with this, please forgive me. I promise I'm only doing this to watch out for you, okay? I promise you that. Be mad at me. I'll even let you hit me. Just listen to me. I looked at the top five richest preachers in America. Kenneth Copeland, sorcerer. No doubt about it. You can look in his eyes and see it. Pat Robertson, a diviner. A diviner is a prophet for hire. A diviner is something that'll, he'll, you know, like I said, read the bones or whatever. Pat Robertson, TBN, he was, you know, I know a lot of people like him, but look, man, he's a diviner. Joel Osteen already listed it, an enchanter. Benny Hinn, fourth richest. I think he's a sorcerer too. He's just not as big time as uh, Kenneth Copeland. The fifth one, Stephen Furtick. I went and watched a couple of hours of sermons from Stephen Furtick in the last month because someone had asked me about him or something. He's a charmer. He's a charmer. A charmer, when you think of a charmer, think of a snake charmer. You know, it's this kind of... And here's another thing, too, I've, I've learned. 
And listen, I, I, it may seem like I'm picking on word of faith people. It's in Baptist churches too. But what Stephen Furtick will do is feed off of the energy of the crowd, and he will actually manipulate the crowd by audience participation. He'll force you to agree to him before you even know it. He'll be like, ain't that right? Raise your hand say amen. And everybody's like, they don't, I mean, what are you supposed to do? The guy just told me to raise my hand. Everybody else raise their hand. I don't know if I agree, but I'm kind of forced into it. And so they engage in crowd manipulation. And this is his big one. This is why he's a charmer. Think hypnotizer. In fact, the New Testament version of it is bewitcher. A bewitcher. If you look up Simon the Sorcerer, Acts chapter 8, it says he bewitched the people by his sorceries. But if you look up what, it, what the bewitching means, it just says he astonished them, amazed them, astounded them. And this is how they do it. They get this, I'm, I'm going to be careful, I'm not trying to manipulate you. But this is what they'll do, he get a rhythm going. And he's going to say, and that's how God's effort to be. And I, no, no, that's how God's said to be. And blah, 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 that's how God's, and he'll just get doing that. And watch, watch what happens. The crowd starts coming alive. Right off the bat, first time he does it, people that are clued in, they're like, oh, he's about to, he's about to get on his rant, boy. First row starts staring. Like, hey, man, brother. By the time he's done, he will not quit until he's got at least 30 rows of people standing up. And the more and more and more that stand up, the more and more and more energized by this worship that he's receiving, the more energized he becomes. Do y'all understand what I'm trying to say? Let me give you a Baptist version of it. I went to a revival over here in Pisgah five years ago. And I told y'all this the other day. That preacher stood up there and did that, turn your Bible to the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, it says, die. And he did that, listen, die, die, die. That's the way the enchanter is spelled. It looks like shaka. And then they'll do this. They'll go around, amen, shake your hand. Hey, amen, they'll do this for 30 minutes. That's, it's not, it's, it's, uh, well, it's not preaching. And listen, I got, I got, I mean, there's people I love that do that. But I even told them, that's the flesh, bro. That's not the spirit leading you to do that. You know, I've read this. I honestly have read this cover to cover. I have never seen one time where a prophet or a preacher or Jesus Christ or the apostle ever went, ha! They didn't communicate that way. In fact, that's what I want to close with. For good measure, let me throw in Joyce Meyer. She's a witch. Smith Wigglesworth. You ever heard of that? What a weird name. Smith Wigglesworth. Supposedly raised 12 people from the dead. We lost a guy at church here three years ago because I told him Smith Wigglesworth was a false prophet and he literally left. Rodney Howard Brown, if you'll know any of them people. And there's a bunch, there's a bunch more. And I'll just say this. It's not that God has a problem with you having money. So I'm not just picking on them because they have money. But I do believe this with all my heart. Well, I can look at the Bible and know this to be the case. Every man that was truly sent by God would not be comfortable sitting on $600 million in the bank with people in his own congregation hungry. There is no way. Which is what Kenneth Copeland has. There is no way that the Apostle Paul, who was charged with preaching the gospel to the world, there is no way that he would have taken up a whole bunch of money from people to buy himself a jet. He went on foot. Beaten, scarred, and bleeding, and wouldn't stop. That's a true man of God. 
So it's not about the fact that they're rich. It's not, I don't envy their money. It's not that. I'm not picking on them because they're rich. But that, that, is a, that is one of the signs. That is one of the signs. Woe unto them that will to be rich in this world. They pierce themselves through with many sorrows. That's what Jesus said. Okay, so. I hope I didn't lose y'all on the charmer thing. When you see a man who's generating this, what they call a cadence. He's sending out something and feeding back off the audience. And then he'll say something else. And he gets in this rhythm. And he's you know, fired up and saying something over and over and over. It does. Listen, it does. So be careful with it. It'll somewhat hypnotize you. It draws you in. You're like, man. Yeah, and you start thinking, hey, I like what he's saying. And before you know it, you're, you're caught up in it too. It makes me think of this off the subject, but when we was at that Bama game, uh, Mississippi State and Bama was ranked number one and number two. And I'm normally like, the most I ever get excited is right here. At the football game, I just was being calm. But man, by the time, I mean, the stadium was just erupted, man. Before I know it, I'm like high-fiving everybody. Woo, what a game. I mean, it got me. Like, I was totally caught up in the moment, man. And so you have to be careful. All right. I don't even know how long I've been talking. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't know I've been talking 48 minutes. I'll be done. Let me, let me close with that, guys. Um, I, I wanted to, initially, this is all I wanted to do, is show you the difference between a, a truly spiritual man and a false spiritual man. Jesus Christ. Think of Jesus Christ. Would Jesus Christ ever, ever, ever behave the way these modern TV preachers would behave? There is no way. You know, when Jesus went into the synagogue and asked for them to hand him the Bible, and they handed it to him, and he opened to Isaiah, and he read from Isaiah 62, and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilling your ears. He said he closed the book. He sat down and began to teach them. That's what it says. He never manipulated people into believing him. He never played on their emotions. He went straight for the truth. Paul the Apostle. Peter, we have his sermons in the book of Acts. Could you ever visualize them? That's what I want to be your standard. When you're watching or listening to somebody, would any, I mean, now listen, sometimes the prophets did get excited. It says several times, Jeremiah cried out with a loud voice. But do you ever see them getting into this repetitive crowd manipulation type stuff? And if you're watching a preacher that's doing that, I would just say quit watching. And last, I'll leave you this. The Bible does give us a description of a spirit-filled man. And it's in the qualifications to be a deacon or a bishop or an elder. Those people have to be spiritual men. Obviously, right? If you're going to be a pastor, bishop, deacon, elder, you've got to be a spiritual man to, to fulfill that. Well, what does it say to look for then? Does it say to look for this power they got in their hand? You know, they can shoot lightning out at you. No, what does it say? So this is the true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop then must be blameless, husband of one life, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, able to teach, not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. That just ruled out everybody that I had talked about up to this point. Not greedy of filthy lucre, patient. Not a brawler, one that rules his own house well, having his children in subjection. And it goes on. And all the lists is nothing about the man's capabilities, and it's all about his character. Whereas all these other preachers, they're looking at my ability, look at my ability, look at my capability, look at what I can do. And the Bible says, look at the man's character. By their fruit, you'll know him.